Father, we just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity to come today to worship you. And Lord, as we think about the words of that song, God, just understanding, Lord, the the passage of scripture that it's brought from and it being one of the oldest and most used blessings to pronounce on one another in the nation of Israel. Lord, you look back at the way that you formed the people of Israel and how you brought them up from Egypt and you established them and you turned them into a nation where they could have one another and rely on one another. And God, the way that you started the church and the way that you established it in a way that people could have one another and rely on one another, God, you have called us from the very beginning to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Lord, I pray today that you would speak into our hearts and lives and that you would remind us that we are not just our own, that our relationship with you is not just based on this personal thing that we have between you and us, but God, it goes much deeper and much broader than that for us to have one another and to receive from one another and to invest in one another. And God, you have called us to be a part of your family, your kingdom, your church, your herd. God, I pray that we would humble ourselves and allow you to teach us this morning so that we can learn and grow in you. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you. And we ask all this in your precious and holy name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Well, it is great to see everybody this morning. We are continuing our series on a herd mentality. And I just want to remind you, you know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about how basically it's in our DNA to desire to be a part of a group that's greater than ourselves. You look at most of anyone, they want to be a part of a family or a team or a group or, you know, something. And we even talked about how, you know, people always question how people end up in gangs, how they end up tied up in these groups of people that do some really terrible things. And the truth is, is if you're lonely enough, you're going to seek out affirmation and relationships with people, even though it may be false, even though people might be using you or taking advantage of you. Just the simple desire that we have in our lives to be connected with other people, to have other people care about us, and somebody to know that, that they're at least there to hear our voice and, and communicate with us, is a desire that we greatly need in our life. So God has called us to be a part of the herd. So today's title of the sermon is Isolation Equals Death. All right, that's pretty hard, but but it's important to understand today that if you allow yourself to be separated and singled out in any way, that spiritual death is very close to you. God did not design you to function and operate alone. You remember back in creation, God created the heavens and the earth. He created light and the darkness. He separated it out. He formed the stars, the sun and the moon. He created animals. He created people. And he said all of it was good. But it was not good for man to be alone. 
And so now think about what that means. Even in the midst of being in the garden, when God came down in the cool of the evening to walk in fellowship with Adam, there was still a need in his life of greater fellowship and someone to spend time with and share with and hold him accountable and to be responsible for and for someone to help him. We are created to need other people. We are created to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And if Satan can isolate you and pull you away from the pack, spiritual death is quickly on the way. So, you know, doing some reading and research this week, you know, just thinking about, you know, the herd in the pack and all that stuff. Um, there's this guy named Robert Sapolsky. He's a professor of biology and several other things at Stanford University. You know, apparently he's one of these like super geniuses that can just kind of teach on anything. I think he's even like professor of neuroscience and neurosurgery and stuff, and biology, which is like the craziest thing ever. So he, he's out and he's studying this herd of zebras. And I mean, he's out in the wild and he's studying the zebras. And as they're studying these zebras, you know, you can't just watch you know, several hundred, if not a thousand animals and like get any kind of collective data off of them. Like you have to watch an individual one, right? Now, now the trick is, is zebras are a little different than most other animals because they're not camouflaged to nature. I don't know if you ever realized that before, but black and white stripes don't match anything else in nature. But what they are camouflaged to is one another. And so they realize that as they're studying these animals and they would look and they would watch them and about the time that they would figure something out or want to write something down, they'd look down, write it down, and they'd look up and they could not determine which zebra they had been looking at. They would lose them in the pack. Think about how cool that is. Even for a human, as, as intelligent as we are compared to all other animals, they, even for us to sit there, like that's how well their God-designed gift was to them that even for us, like it's hard to, to distinguish between them in that large of a group. So here's what um, Robert Zabowski and his colleagues did. So they said, well, we need to figure out a way to watch one of these zebras that we can keep up with them and monitor what they're doing. And so they got in the Jeep, they got this long stick, put a rag on the end of the stick, put red paint on it, and they went up and they marked one of the zebras with red paint. They could get close enough if they were, drove up slow enough. They marked one zebra's red paint. But what happened is, is that within a few days, the lions would come and they would kill the zebra that was marked with red paint. And this happened multiple times before they realized that basically they were wasting their time by marking the zebra because all the studies that they were trying to do, the zebra just kept on getting killed. And what they were doing is they were putting this distinguished, identifiable mark on this animal, and so the lions who, who are constantly looking for the opportunity to feed on something and have a really difficult time, you know, if you can imagine getting a, a group of animals together and figuring out which one you're going to go get, and they all look exactly the same, they camouflage with each other, it can be very confusing. But if you can look up and you see the red marking on a zebra, and it distinguishes them, then the, all of a sudden they were able to hone in on that one and collectively and within a matter of days, like it was gone. And again, it would be gone and again. And so they eventually they just quit doing it because they were wasting their time. And so this morning, I want you to understand that in the Christian Church of America, 
we all want to be a part of the church, but there's this very weird desire at the same time for us to continue to be individuals, individualistic, to be different, to, be st- to stand out, to, to do something. And I want you to understand today that if, if Satan in any way can isolate you, if he can pull you apart, if he can bring any kind of identification on you to, to hone in on you and to focus on that, that you will be much easier to bring down and to overcome in that situation. I got another little video I want to show you real quick. Um, since because today our passage of scripture is going to be comparing Satan to a lion. So I want to show you this video. I think it's really cool. Watch this with us. get the point? How lucky. How lucky for that water buffalo to be a part of the herd because he was almost cat food. As we talk about this this morning, you need to understand some things about the adversary in which you and I are constantly at battle against. He is greater than we are. He's stronger than we are. He's more powerful than we are. Like alone, individually, you and I have no way of standing against him to fight against him in any way. And you look at that video right there. It's just a TikTok video. I was scrolling across a few weeks back and saw him like, this is going to be good. This is going to be a perfect like visual example to see what happens whenever you're alone and how that water buffalo as strong and as powerful. And, and in fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but more people are killed by water buffalo than they are lions in Africa. I don't know if you knew that or not, but they are. They're extremely dangerous and powerful animals. But alone, they don't stand a chance against the lion and what they're trying to accomplish. But with the herd, they have great power and ability to defend themselves. And so today I want to read a passage of scripture to you from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8-9. through 9. This is a super familiar passage. If you've been a part of the church any amount of time or a Christian, you've probably heard this at some point in time. It's one of the first passages of scripture that I memorized as a teenager. And Greg talked a lot about this whenever we were in youth. I remember watching The Ghost in the Darkness. Uh, it's the movie with, uh, oh, I forget the guy's name in it, but they have the two lines that are hunting and killing people in Africa. Um, but super, I, I just remember that vividly and just kind of like communicating that example of how dangerous it is uh, to not give Satan his credit to understand how much more powerful he is than us. And so when Peter writes this letter and he's wanting other Christians to read this, look at what he says. He says, stay alert. As a Christian, you do not have the luxury of resting and chilling out. Stay alert. You're not just walking to and fro like We think a lot of times, oh, we just like get up and we live life and everything's going to be fine. But in reality, you're walking through the middle of the jungle. Like you're walking through the middle of of the Sahara. Like you have an enemy that is looking for the opportunity. He said, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
Any of you watch National Geographic? Watch the Discovery Channel? I don't know if any of you have ever sit down and actually watched like a real vivid, hardcore video of these animals actually like attacking another animal and eating them. But, but I just want you to understand what goes on. It's not like they go up and they kill the animal and they put it out of its misery and then they start cutting it up and dividing it up between one another. And then it's like, you know, it, it's this very civil thing. It is one of the most gruesome, horrifying things that you will ever see. And so I just want to let you know this in case you go to Africa one day and you think, oh, this is going to be really cool. If a lion gets after you, this is what's going to happen to you. They're going to take you down and they're not going to kill you. But they start eating the animal while it is still alive. And you, 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 you saw the video where they started, they just started swarming the water buffalo. And eventually they'll just get to the point where they take them to the ground. And they start biting off sections that they can eat and they start devouring it. And, and a lot of times if you watch these videos and if they really are trying to show you what's truly going on, I've seen videos where the animal begins to go into shock and you can watch its body begin to shake and shiver, at, and, but it's... Basically, it's done. Like it has no energy, nothing left to get up and go. And the animals are, are devouring it alive. It's horrifying. And I know that's gruesome. And I know many of you are probably like, I didn't want to come to church and hear this this morning. But you need to understand that Peter is painting a picture of Satan that he wants you to realize what he is trying to do to you both spiritually and physically. That he's not this like nice enemy that's just going to come up and he's going to take you out real quick and put you out of your misery. He's not the type of enemy who, who's going to show mercy to you, but he is looking for the opportunity to devour you. And you will suffer greatly at the expense of him receiving his nourishment from your life and your spiritual life and your soul. He is looking for the opportunity to destroy you and in verse 9, Peter says, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. And we need to realize that it's not just a matter of being strong and saying, yes, I believe in Jesus or, or anything like that. But it's, it's, it's a matter of standing firm and not just believing in Jesus, but believing in his word and his teachings and God's word in everything between living out what God's word and his laws command to being obedient to his Holy Spirit, to proclaiming Jesus to other people and proclaiming him in our life and proclaiming victory in our life, but being obedient in that and standing firm in our faith completely. Because if we don't stand in our faith, strong in our faith, we don't have a chance. And Peter also says, remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. And understand this today. We have a hard time comprehending what it was like for early Christians because most of us in this room, especially here at Graham, there, there are a lot of families. Like some of you are sitting around the table right now with your families. Like there are family units of you that are surrounding one another. Like you still have your blood family. But the early Christians, whenever they put their faith in Jesus Christ, most of them were ostracized from their families, cast out, and they were not associated with anymore. And so when they became believers in Jesus Christ, the church became their family. And that's why Peter says, your family of believers, not just where you are, not just Graham Chapel, not just the people sitting around your table, not just Graham Chapel, not just our community, your family of believers all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. 
And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're going through physical ailments, you need to realize and understand there are other Christian brothers and sisters who are fighting those same battles that you are. If you're dealing with, with temptation, if you're dealing with addiction, if you're dealing with, with, with struggles, relationship issues, family issues, children, whatever it may be, you need to understand today that there are brothers and sisters in Christ not only here, but around the world who are going through the same suffering and issues that you are. And you need to cling to one another. But we need to be aware because there's an enemy that is much more powerful, much more capable, much more efficient than you and I could ever dream of being. And he's looking for the opportunity to devour you. He's coming after your soul. You with me today? He's coming after your soul but he uses physical things to get there. And so while you, you may not realize it, you know, his ultimate goal is for you to burn in eternity with him. You, you, know, you, you read the Bible, hell was made for the devil and his demons. Hell was not made for us, but Satan wants to take us with him. And so you need to understand that you have an enemy who's wanting to destroy you spiritually, but he will destroy you physically along the way. You look at so many sins, so many things, so many habits that, that we have as people. I mean, I mean from, from addiction to food, addiction to drugs, addiction to alcohol, addiction to gambling. You look at all these things that we can, as people, get wrapped up in, and we may not necessarily view them as simple, but if we allow things to control our lives, not only does it have a devastating impact on our life, and it destroys us physically, but it has a devastating impact on our spiritual life, and it destroys us spiritually as well. And, and I promise you this, you and people will argue about things, well, oh, they may not be sinful or stuff like that. But if there's stuff in your life that you feel convicted about, that you feel like you're struggling in, it will always deter you from being the man or woman that God has called you to be because you're not going to be confident in your relationship with Christ. You're not going to be confident about sharing Christ with other people because you know you're not where you're supposed to be. You're always going to feel weak. You're always going to feel vulnerable. You're always going to feel like you're not good enough. And the truth is, none of us are good enough. But through Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit, we have the opportunity to stand against Satan, to stand firm, and to rely on one another to know that we're all going through these things. We're all going through doubts. We're all going through fears. We're all going through suffering and frustrations and hardships. And we need to cling to that and rely on one another. So three points I want you to realize this morning is point number one, you have an enemy that wants to devour you. He does. He absolutely does. The character of Satan is described throughout the Bible with consistency. <coughs> he is the accuser, the father of lies, a murderer from the beginning, the first rebel, completely prideful, and self-worshipping. When you look at the characteristics that describe Satan throughout Scripture, none of them are positive. They're all negative. He is the instigator of all that is wrong and bad in your life. Oh, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Satan. Why is there sin? Satan. Why is there heartache? Satan. Why is there death? Satan. Everything that's negative in your life, why is there frustration? Why can't me and my wife get along? Because you're both selfish and you're both sinful and it's traced back to Satan. 
Why can't you and your kids get along? Same thing, Satan. He is the instigator of all things that is wrong and negative and, and it's devouring our world and you can trace it back to him. And Satan's hatred of God falls directly on us. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but when Satan rebels against God, there is nothing that Satan can do to overcome God, destroy him, or diminish him in any way. And so as soon as he rebels against God, God squashes the rebellion immediately. There's nothing that Satan can do. And just like for, for many people that you know, and you see this plot in movies, and a lot of people have done this in the world throughout history, if they cannot gain access to the one that they want to hurt, who will they hurt? The ones that they love. They may not be able to gain access to the one that they actually want to hurt, but they will hurt someone that they love in order to negatively impact them. And that's exactly what Satan does with us. Satan knows how much God loves us. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't understand that, you need to realize God loves you so much that all of creation was made so that you could dwell and benefit from it. And it was perfect and it was good until Satan screwed it up for us. And we played a part in that because we've all sinned. We've all chosen it. So we're, we all got a hand in it, but he's the instigator. But God loves us so much that not only did he create it for us to enjoy, but he also sent his one and only son to die on the cross so that we could dwell with him in eternity and get moved beyond all this stuff. That's how much God loves us. And Satan knows that, that because God loves us so much, he may not be able to hurt God specifically, but he can hurt God's heart by impacting us and causing us to turn away from him and helping us to end up in eternal death causing us to struggle with sin, causing us to question God in our faith. And Genesis 3 describes Satan as the shrewdest and most clever of all of God's creatures. Of all creation, he's the shrewdest, most clever. As smart as we are, as incredible as biology is for us to look at, we don't stand a chance, we don't even compare. We cannot stand against Satan alone. And you want to be honest? Even if we all banded together, we can't stand against Satan just with us banding together. But through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and us joining together as the body of Christ like he has called us to, we can stand against Satan. John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. Jesus explained to them, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely, and I will find good pastures for them. You see this? Jesus is communicating this whole idea of him being the shepherd and the gate and the fact that he wants good for us. He wants to bless us. He wants to find good pastures. He's going to provide for us. Look at verse 10. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. When you look at Satan, when you look at what he wants for your life, his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy everything that you have to bring pain on you and to bring pain on God as a result. That's his purpose. But look at the second half of verse 10. It says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. 
everything about us as individuals in America is very hesitant to submit or surrender to anything because we're always afraid that we're going to give up freedom. We're going to give up the opportunity to make our own decisions, our own choices. And so the idea of submitting to the body of Christ or submitting to the church is terrifying for a lot of people. But you need to understand today that all the things that God has called us to do, all the things that Jesus has provided for us, establishing the church is a blessing to give you a rich and satisfying life. And it seems by nature this way of confining us and holding us hostage and really like just kind of putting us down and keeping us from experiencing life and good things. But in reality, it's there to help us experience the good and satisfying things in life, the way that God designed it to be. And Satan is looking for the opportunity to steal it from you. He's looking for the opportunity to steal you away so that you cannot partake and enjoy what God has set up and designated for you to benefit from, both personally and spiritually for eternity. Don't fall prey to his tactics. Point number two, isolation brings about spiritual death. If you ever allow yourself to get separated from your herd, you are vulnerable and in a very, very dangerous position. You show me a person who says, I don't have to go to church or be a part of a church in order to be a Christian, and I'll show you a person whose faith is weak, and there's some things behind the scenes that no one may know, but they have not dealt with yet. I'm telling you, 20-something years been reading Scripture, and it's not just because I'm a pastor. If you're listening to this right now, whether it's online or video or you're here in person, I don't care if you come to Graham Chapel. My goal is is to preach truth to you. You need to be a part of a church somewhere. I don't ever get mad if people go to some other church or get a part of the body of Christ or become part of the body of believers somewhere else. That's not, my job is not to get people to come to Graham Chapel. My job is to make sure people are saved. They have a healthy relationship with Christ. In order to do that, you need to be a part of church. So if Graham is not a church that you feel like you can be a part of, go find one because you are not gonna have a healthy relationship with Christ as long as you are operating like a lone wolf thinking that you're where you need to be when really you're not. Not according to God's word, you're not. You were not created to do life alone, and you were not created to follow God alone. When you look at the church, even when God, when when Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and the 12 disciples were left, and they stayed in Jerusalem, they prayed, and the Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost. And the church was born on the day of Pentecost. It was not just a few believers. It was thousands. The church was birthed in a single moment with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And thousands were added to their number. And even from then on for the next several days, it talked about thousands of people being added to their number. People being added to their numbers daily. God created the church, the body of Christ, so that we could have people to to do life with, to have a new family. One of the the worst things that we do as as Christians in America is that we have a hard time separating from our own family units to, to really accept the church as a family. You know, we talked about earlier how the early church, their family was removed from them. And they had no choice but to accept the church as their family. 
And when you read the book of Acts, that's why they were all selling their property, selling their stuff. They were giving the money to the, to the apostles. They were divvying it up. They were providing for one another. And in scripture, it says they lacked nothing because they all cared for one another as a true family should. But we have a hard time doing that in America. Because we compartmentalize. We say, well, this is my, my real family, my blood, and this is church family, and this is friends. And, and you know, we don't intermix and mingle a whole lot, or we find that really difficult to do. And we, in, in all honesty, we're not always there for our church family like we should be sometimes because we're so overwhelmed with other, what we feel like are responsibilities and things that we should be taking care of. But to sit here today and understand that we have a calling on our life, to not follow Christ alone and to not let others follow Christ alone. It's not just about us and what we get out of it, but it's about making sure that other people don't have to journey through this journey alone. That they're not following, they're not walking with Christ alone because they can't do it. You sit out there and you watch someone who's following Christ and they don't have nobody. They don't have the family support, they don't have the friend support, they don't have what they need in order to make this happen, if you don't come alongside of them and help them through this journey, you're going to be having their spiritual funeral within a few weeks, months, or years. Because they're not going to make it. You can't do it on your own. And some of you have been saved a long time. You can say like, yes, I understand that. I know like I can't make it on my own. But isolation brings about spiritual death. First John chapter 1, verses 3 through 4 says, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. How weird is that? We didn't proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you can get saved. We didn't proclaim what we have seen and heard so that you can profess faith or we can baptize you and chalk up another number. But we have proclaimed what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. Part of the whole aspect of putting our trust and faith in Jesus Christ is coming into the body of Christ and having fellowship with one another. And look at the other part of the verse. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not about hanging out It's not about having fun. It's not about playing games. It's not about just making sure that we're all friends with each other and we're all acquaintances. And, and, you know, this Sunday morning I went around and I shook as many hands as I could, introduced myself to people, and then I'll see them again next Sunday and we'll do the same thing over again. No, they have told people what they had seen and heard, talking about Jesus Christ and his resurrection, his death and resurrection, so that they may have fellowship with them and their fellowship is with the Father and the Son. So when they come into the fellowship of the family of believers, they are naturally having fellowship with God because the body of believers is having fellowship with God in the Son, Jesus Christ. It's a natural progression. We are writing these things so that you may share, fully share our joy. But you can't fully share in someone's joy unless you spend time with them and you see the joy that they're actually having. We have to be willing to do these things and bring other people along. And we also have to be, it's nice if we have other people to bring us along to share in that joy. I don't know about you guys, I'm thankful because I had people in my life who brought me along to share in that joy with them. If it had not been for them, I probably wouldn't be here today. 
But because it was shared with me, it's my responsibility and obligation and calling to share it with others now. But salvation is also having fellowship with other believers as we fellowship with God and the Son at the same time. So when we spend time together and we do life together, it's all an act of worship. It's what God has called us to do. First John chapter 1, verses 5-7. through seven. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see it? Again, it's, it's, it's coupling the whole idea of us having a relationship with God with the idea of having fellowship with one another. You cannot have one and not have the other. It goes against Scripture. Fellowship and accountability is important. Your herd is important in maintaining a healthy relationship with you and your Lord and Savior. Without it, you're not going to have a healthy relationship. Point number three, last one. Your herd should be there for you. After everything I've said, you're just like, well, duh. But they should. They should be there for you. I can remember when I first came back to Graham as youth pastor. Um, I mean, it was like 15 years ago now. There was someone in the church who lost a family member. And I don't remember exactly what happened. I just know like one of their family members passed away. For whatever reason, nobody in the church just caught wind of it, didn't realize it. They didn't connect the dots. I don't know what was wrong with the names or something like that. But anyway, family member passed away. Receiving a friend's happened. Funeral happened. Nobody from the church came alongside of them and, and helped them and bonded with them during that time. And from my understanding, it was, it was a legitimate just freak thing because I know our church and anytime someone passes away, you almost have to tell people like, please stop bringing food. Please stop doing this. Please stop doing that. But in this case, this person was extremely hurt and they ended up leaving the church. And guys, I want want to share something with you. I'm going to be real with you today. You know this. You know that some of the people in your life who love you the most and you love them the most are the ones that can hurt you the most, right? Whether it's husband or wife, son, daughter, mother, father, whatever, those people can and will eventually hurt you, right? Anybody ever been hurt by some of the closest people they loved before? You need to understand today that the body of Christ is not made up of perfect people. There are going to be times in your walk, in your journey with Christ, where the church, the body of Christ, where fellow believers are not going to be there like they should. They're going to drop the ball. They're going to make mistakes. It could be accidental. It could be intentional. But just because it happens does not give us the ability or reasoning to say, that's it, I quit. I take my ball, I'm going home. If this is how it's going to be because they neglected this, they didn't even care for me, I'm not going to do this. That does not give us the excuse to do it. But rather, as believers in Christ, having something painful like that happen to us should 
put the conviction in our heart to say, hey, this happened to me. It was terrible. I don't ever want someone else to go through with this, what I had to go through. So therefore, I'm going to step in and make sure that I come alongside other people and witness and minister to them and love on them and do the things that they need in their time of need because that's what God has called us to do. We're not perfect. Some of you may be sitting here listening to this and you're like, you, you've been hurt and you felt neglected inside the body of Christ, whether it be this church or another church. And you may say, well, I, all this sounds really good. I sure do wish I've experienced this personally. And the only thing I can say to you is this morning is that, look, I've dropped the ball on a lot of things in life, a lot of things in ministry. I failed before. I will fail again. It's not intentional. Other people are going to fail. Hopefully, it's not intentional. But we need to understand today that despite what we have received, now the church should be there for us. You with me today? It should be there for you. But even just as important as the church being there for you is the calling on your life for you to be there for the other people in the church. And just because you may have been neglected or the ball was dropped with you doesn't give you the right to do it to other people because that's a nasty little cycle that once it starts, it's hard to get out of. And that cycle's got to be broken somewhere. So as believers in Jesus Christ today, we have a calling on our life to be what other people need us to be in the body of Christ to witness and minister to them and bring them along. We're supposed to be there for one another. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, the author writes, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Now think about that. How realistic do you take scripture? Like, I mean, do you think this is like literal? Because as believers, we come to church and we shake hands and wave from each other across the room. And in reality, there's probably very little true fellowship that takes place on a Sunday morning. Like we like to see each other. We like to know each other's doing okay. But in reality, as far as just like us spending time together, worshiping with one another, loving on one another, a lot of that doesn't take place. We need to be more intentional about that. But as we interact with one another, as we love on one another, we are called to every day warn each other while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. And this goes back to the original passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, that you have an enemy who's looking to destroy you. It is your obligation to look at your brothers and sisters in Christ and not say, hey, hope you have a great day. Hope your lunch is good today. Have some rest. Hope you get a good nap today. But to tell them, you need to be awake today. Keep your head on a swivel. You're not walking through civilized society. You're walking through a jungle and you have an enemy who's looking to devour you. He's looking to deceive you. He's going to lead you down a road where you think, oh, this is a nice path. This is a great place to be. This is perfectly good. Why would, not? Why would God not want me to have this? And he's looking to trap us and deceive us and devour us. And we should be warning each other of that daily. And it's not a matter of just coming and saying, hey, man, how you doing? Good to see you this week. We'll see you next Sunday and being done with it. 
It's a matter of loving each other enough to look each other in the eye and say, be careful. Oh man, I've had a great week. The Lord's really done a lot in my life this week. He spoke to me. I was reading this word. Prayer last week was wrong. Be careful. Because if it's going good, you know he's there. You know he's waiting for the opportunity to find you on your off game just for that one second, lead you down that road and take you out and devour you. To steal, kill, and destroy. And you can look around in this room and you look at somebody and you say, man, I worry about them. I worry about whether or not their life is where it needs to be. I worry about whether or not they're, they're living for God. I worry about whether or not they're struggling with sin. And to look at them in the eye and say, you better be careful because he's out there. He's looking to devour you. And he might already have you pulled away and isolated a little bit. If you're sitting here today and you're struggling in sin and temptation and you find yourself, I really I don't want to go to church because I know there's something in my life. I don't enjoy like being around other Christians because I know there's something in my life and it makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't like feeling guilty when I go to church. You need to be careful because Satan is trying to call you out from the pack. He's trying to hook his claws in you, drag you away, and make you cat food for the opportunity to steal, kill, and destroy what you have in this life and what you could have in eternity. Don't get caught alone and don't leave one of your own to be stranded. As important as it is for you to make sure that you're a part of the pack, it's just as important for you to be the pack to make sure that one other doesn't get stranded or called out. We have a responsibility and obligation to our brothers and sisters in Christ. You look at one of the first sins written about in Scripture when Cain kills Abel and God comes to him and says, where's your brother? He says, am I my brother's keeper? He's like, yes, you're your brother's keeper. You are responsible for him. You are supposed to watch over him. You are supposed to protect him. Not kill him, not leave him out to be, to be taken advantage of or destroyed or to lack anything. When you look across this room, when you look at, at the, the first service, when you look at anybody else who claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ, you are their keeper. It comes with the territory. What Jesus Christ paid on the cross for our sins, the eternity that he's prepared for us, it came with a high price and it comes with high expectations for our life. For us to be willing to care for one another and love one another because Jesus was willing to do it for us. And we're supposed to follow his example in every single thing that we do. And that means not only caring for one another, but making sure that we are a part of the body of Christ so that no one gets left behind. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your love and mercy and your grace and your forgiveness for many sins. Lord, I pray that you'd speak into our hearts and lives right now. Jesus, for whatever reason, if there's any of us in this room that's just resisting being a part of the body, if we find ourselves just dreading going to church, dreading being around other believers, God, I pray that you would reveal to us why that is so that we can see it and turn it over to you. Lord, help us to surrender to your word, to the calling that you've placed on our life as believers.
Father, I pray that we would be humble and submissive servants to you. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.